If you have a Bible, you can go to Luke 17. And if you grab one in the seat in front of you, it's page 876. So we'll be in Luke 17, we'll be looking at a passage that's not in Mark's gospel, what we've been in. And hopefully it connects the ideas of Thanksgiving and also Advent, as we've been talking about this morning. Well, one of the things I've enjoyed having with having kids is the chance to force them to relive my childhood experiences. The good ones, at least. And this includes the books that I read. So growing up, I read The Bernstein Bears. Anybody read those? And so now I'm forcing them to read those books as well. And one of my favorite books, it's Say Please and Thank You. Now, I know these books are complex, but let me give you the premise really quick. So what happens in this book is throughout it, brother and sister bear, the kids, they forget to say please and thank you. But they don't realize it until they see it in others. So all day they're doing nice things for their friends, but their friends don't notice, don't appreciate it, and don't say thank you. Meanwhile, their parents have been doing nice things for them all day, but they've not noticed or appreciated it. So then finally, at the end of the day, they're at the dinner table eating food made for them by their parents. And Brother Bear talks about how none of their friends said thank you to them today. Mama Bear says this. She says, saying please and thank you is a small thing, but it means a lot. As she fills their bowls with dessert, Sister Bear agrees with her mother. It sure does. Papa and Mama look at each other. They don't miss the irony in these words. And then Papa says to them again, it's very easy to forget to say thank you. We all forget sometimes. So that's why we should try very hard to remember those little words. With his mouth full, brother says, we never forget, Papa. The parents again shoot one another a knowing look. Brother and sister then ask for a second bowl of dessert. And as brother scoops it to his mouth, he finally sets in. They've been not recognizing their parents all day. They've been receiving kind things from others and not saying thank you. Now, part of why I like this story so much is it not only reiterates to my kids the importance of saying thank you, but it helps me as a parent know my kids aren't the only ones heavy on demands and light on gratitude. So I like seeing in the story that my kids are like them. Our kids often think that we should be their personal chefs, their ATMs, their taxis, their doctors, their errand runners and homework completers. And all of this is often just assumed by them. This is what parents do, and they don't see why we do it for them or say thank you. But here's the thing. We don't outgrow ingratitude and grumbling as adults. We forget to say thank you. We often take good things for granted every day, and we don't notice it. So often, I treat God like my kids treat me. I expect God to bless me, provide for me, shield my life from troubles, take away my burdens, and answer my constant barrage of give me prayer requests. And when God does many of these things for me, I take it for granted. I don't always say thank you. And then when I don't get exactly what I want when I want it, I grumble. I even grumble to God about how my kids grumble to me. That's just how we are. So as I said, one thing that's been helpful in seeing this in my kids or reading it in a story like Bernstein Bears is that when you observe it, you then notice it better in your own heart and life. Often we don't see our own blind spots, our weaknesses, or our sins until we see it in others, and then we have the aha moment that we are the same. So this morning as we look at Luke 17 and verses 11 to 19, it's a story that illustrates for us what gratitude and ingratitude look like. 
It shows us two paths and it forces us to ask ourselves, are we the nine or the one? Where do we fit in the story? Are we grateful or ungrateful? I hope through this story we get a chance to see both who we are, but also who we could be as we grow in thanksgiving. We'll also see this morning that thanksgiving to God isn't just a nice thing to do once a year or when you remember. Thanksgiving is not a box to check, but thanksgiving is actually a chance to consider who God is and know him better. Thanksgiving in the Bible, it's not an annual holiday to celebrate, but it's a daily practice to cultivate. Thanksgiving moves us from recognition of God's acts, his attributes, his gifts, and his promise to actually rejoicing in a God who does such things. Biblical Thanksgiving, it offers us joy in the gifts, but also joy in the giver himself. And so even though this morning we might be moving past the Thanksgiving holiday, I hope we're ready to lean into giving thanks. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to break this up into a couple of different parts so you can just follow along as I read. I'm going to start with verses 11 to 14. So this is Luke 17, 11 to 14. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. We'll stop there. And first we'll look at the gifts from Jesus. So the text is telling us that ten lepers, they come out to meet Jesus as he's on his way to Jerusalem. Now as the words, it says they cry out with a loud voice, from a distance. Now that language of from a distance is a reminder that these lepers were actually cut off. It's not just that they suffer a debilitating disease and the poverty that goes with it, but they're actually cut off from society and personal relationships. They had to keep their distance from everyone, possibly 50 paces. As they walked around, they'd have to say out loud, unclean, unclean, so that no one came near them. They couldn't enter the temple to worship God. These were the untouchables of society. And so here they are, keeping their distance, but calling out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us, heal us. Verse 14 then tells us that when Jesus sees them, he heals them. Now it'd be easy to skip over this phrase, when Jesus saw them, but Luke is meticulous in his details. Luke includes every word, every phrase for a reason. Notice that when they ask for this from Jesus, it doesn't just go on and say, and Jesus replied, or when Jesus heard them, but first it has this beautiful phrase that when Jesus saw them. Now this is a phrase that shows up throughout the Gospels, and it tells us not simply this fact that Jesus notices that people exist, but that when Jesus looks on someone, he sees and knows them fully. That when Jesus looks at them, he knows what they've walked through. He knows the details of their life and what they are carrying. And so for Jesus to see them means Jesus knows them. Let me just show you a couple examples of the many I found throughout the Gospels and the Bible. So one is in Mark 6. We see this first with a crowd. So in Mark 6, 34, it says that when Jesus goes ashore, it says he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. So when Jesus sees them, it's not just they're a bunch of people, but seeing them leads to compassion because he knows that they're sheep without a shepherd. 
The next one is Mark 10. This is when Jesus is talking with the rich young ruler. It says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. So the text is connecting looking at this man with loving this man. And then in John 1, when Jesus calls the disciple Nathanael to follow him, when he tells Nathanael that he saw him under the fig tree, he communicates something so profound that Nathanael then calls him the son of God and follows him because Jesus saw him. It says this in John 1, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And then one more from the Old Testament. In Exodus 2, so this is when Moses is born, and Israel is heavy under Egypt's slavery. It says this, verses 24 and 25 of Exodus 2. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And so this, this phrase in Luke 17 that Jesus saw them, it's a reminder for us that God sees us and he knows us. One of the lies that we are tempted to believe is that God must be too busy, too distracted to care for or notice us. Or that we must be too small, too insignificant, or too sinful for God to care about the details of our life. But this phrase, when Jesus saw them, it counters that lie with the truth. It tells us that you are seen and known and loved by God. That just like when Jesus looks on these lepers and it says that he sees them, meaning he knows all of their life and their story and their shame and their longings and their hopes for healing and so much more, just like he sees them and he knows that, when he sees you, he knows the real you. He knows the intimate details of your life. He knows what you've walked through in life. He knows this morning what burdens and shame and stress and fear you're carrying. As much as we might try to hide these things and put on a facade and put up defenses, God sees the real you. And this morning, one reason that we can give thanks, one reason for gratitude is you are seen and known and loved by God. And just like the story of the prodigal son, it tells us that when the father looks out and he sees his son from a distance, he runs to him. So also when God looks on you and he sees you, he runs to you with the fullness of compassion and care, no matter how undeserving we are. And so don't, don't miss in this text that how God sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And this kind of grace is part of what leads to gratitude from this man. We'll go back to our verse. So in verse 14, it tells us that Jesus sees them, and then Jesus tells them, go to the priests, which meant that they would be healed. He tells them, and the text says, that as they went, they were cleansed. So it seems to connect the dots between their responding to Jesus in obedience by faith and them receiving this healing. So as they, they turn and they start walking, they're immediately healed. Jesus has not only healed them of their disease from leprosy, He's not only cleansed them ceremonially, but he's restored them to society and to relationships. And so these 10 lepers have received an amazing, life-changing gift from Jesus. 
So that's part one. That's the story of the gifts from Jesus. Now we'll, we'll move to part two, their responses to Jesus. Is, if verses 11 to 14 are the first part of the story, the heart of the story is really this next part. Not so much what Jesus did, but how they responded to what Jesus did. Follow along as I read verses 15 to 19. It says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So this passage tells us that even though Jesus heals all ten lepers, even though he gives them an amazing gift, that the nine simply go on their way. They take this blessing from Jesus and they just continue with their life. It's only this one man, a Samaritan, who returns to Jesus to express thanksgiving. Now a few things to notice from this. First, let's talk about the nine. And like I mentioned at the beginning about observing my own children or reading the Bernstein Bear story, sometimes when we read a story, when we look at the lives of others, it helps us see our own heart. So the purpose of this text, it's not to look at these nine lepers and say, what in the world are they thinking? Why weren't they grateful? The purpose is to see just how much like them we really are. Think of how often God does things for you, answers prayer, blesses you, and do you always give thanks to him? Or do you often live like these lepers? You just go on your way. You take the blessings and run. I know I do that all the time. So when you read this story, you probably see your ingratitude in these nine people. But hopefully you also see, I don't want to stay there forever. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to remain an ungrateful person. And so this one man, this one leper who returns in thanksgiving, he gives us a model of thanksgiving and gratitude and faith. Before we get to this one man's example, I'm going to cut into the story and we're going to take a little commercial break. No advertisements. Um, But I want to zoom out and just give a couple of thoughts about what is biblical thanksgiving. So in general, what are a few things we learn about what biblical thanksgiving is? And then we'll come back to the story and see how is that actually lived out? How do we see these principles of thanksgiving in Luke 17? So I'm going to mention four common aspects of biblical thanksgiving. And by biblical thanksgiving, I mean not our understanding and culture or even in the church of thanksgiving, but what does the Bible tell us about thanksgiving? So there are at least these four things. First, we see a thankfulness for something. Second, we see that leads to thankfulness to someone, usually God in the Bible. Third, that thankfulness to God gets expressed. And then fourth, thankfulness to God leads to delighting in God. So let me briefly explain all four. So first, thankfulness for something. The first aspect of giving thanks is recognizing the reasons we have to be thankful. And this is often what we think of when we think of thanksgiving or gratitude. It's the stuff. It's the reasons we have for being thankful. And part of growing in gratitude is being more aware of all the reasons we have to be thankful for. There are daily blessings like God's provision in our health, our finances, through work or through relationships. There are the small blessings we enjoy in life, like coffee on Sunday morning or breath mints after your coffee. 
or pecan pie or the Christmas movies we have this time of year, football and so forth, all these little blessings that we enjoy. There are spiritual blessings such as a good church or God's word, the countless blessings we have in Jesus Christ, the things that God is doing in our lives each day or the things God is teaching us through his word. And then even in trials, we can still thank God because we know that his purposes are always good for us, that he is with us in the midst of it, and that the timing and the wisdom of his provision is perfect. So we can thank him even in trials. And so every day, there are countless reasons we have to be grateful, to be thankful for something. So first, it's thankfulness for something. Second, we are thankful to someone. If the first step is thankfulness for something, recognizing what I'm thankful for, the second step is moving from stuff to someone. In the Bible, thankfulness is never general. You're always thankful to someone. In this quote, Cornelius Plantinga, he says this, it must be an odd feeling to be thankful to nobody in particular. Christians in public institutions often see this odd thing happening on Thanksgiving Day. Everyone in the institution seems to be thankful in general. It's very strange. It's a little like being married in general. His point is that you're not thankful in general. You're always thankful to someone. And in the Bible, that thankfulness is God. We recognize everything we have is from him. And so biblical gratitude is God-centered gratitude. So Thanksgiving, number two, it, means it moves us from stuff to someone. The third is that thankfulness is then expressed. This might seem obvious, but I know in my life it's easy to skip. I might feel a little grateful, but I never actually tell God, thank you. And so Thanksgiving in the Bible, it's more than just something we feel or something we experience, but it has to be expressed. Part of Thanksgiving is giving thanks or saying thank you. Just to give one example from the Bible of many, in Psalm 107, it says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. So we don't just have a vague sense of gratitude, but we actually express it in thanksgiving. And then fourth and finally, thankfulness to God actually leads to delighting in God. So as you experience gratitude for something that leads you to telling someone thank you, you actually become more aware of them, what it tells you about them. And in the Bible, thanksgiving is more than a response to God's gifts and acts. It's actually a response to him and what we learn about him through those gifts and acts. When we give thanks, we acknowledge something to be from the Lord, but it actually tells us who he is and what he's like and why he does what he does for us. And so, yes, Thanksgiving helps us actually better enjoy the gift, but it helps us enjoy the giver through the gift. And when we understand Thanksgiving in this way, that it's not just about the stuff, but it's about helping us know God through them, that's where Thanksgiving becomes a life-changing and joy-giving practice. Now that we're in the Christmas season, just consider how this might work at Christmas. So part of what should happen in the exchanging of gifts is that we're actually learning to appreciate one another more. Somebody gives you a gift and you're thankful for the gift, but you're also thankful for what it tells you about them. 
It reminds you who they are or reminds you of something they know about you or about the relationship. And so by giving gifts to one another, it actually strengthens the bond as it reminds you who they are, why you love them. Let me give a quick example of this. So when my wife asked me what I want for Christmas, I usually had this dilemma. It's a hard thing to answer. And part of the dilemma is I don't usually ask for anything over like 50 bucks. And yet anything under 50 bucks, I would normally just buy for myself. If I would want it, I would just probably buy it if it's that cheap. And so sometimes this leads for me asking for a random Christmas gift that I probably wouldn't normally buy but still think would be fun to have. And sometimes my wife then thinks that cheap gift isn't actually worth the money and she doesn't really want to buy it for me. For example, this year I actually wanted this Darth Vader pin holder I saw on my desk. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I know. It's awesome, isn't it? Now, I'm always searching for a pin in my office and there's something about Darth Vader kneeling and handing me my pin that just seems sweet. And I get when you see that, and I think this right now as I'm saying it, this is a dumb gift idea. It's a waste of money, which is why I haven't bought it for myself yet. But this is the kind of thing I usually then end up asking for for, for Christmas from my wife. So my wife's going to see that and she's going to think, yeah, that's a dumb gift. That's a waste of money. But when she actually does buy it for me, not because she thinks it's worth the money, but because she loves me and knows somehow a gift like that will bring happiness to me, that's an expression of her love. I see her sacrifice and blowing some money to buy me something fun to have on my desk, and it reminds me how much she loves me. And that's what love is. It reminds me about her love to me. Now, I know that's not quite you've got mail or the notebook, but that's what love looks like in our family. What happens is I enjoy her through the gift that she gives me. And so you see this in the Bible, that thankfulness for something leads to thankfulness to someone, and that actually deepens and enriches the relationship. And this is especially true when it comes to thanksgiving to God. As we give thanks to God, we not only confess we would have nothing in our lives apart from him, but we pause and we consider who he is and what these gifts and blessings and works tell us about who he is. John Piper writes this. He says, we are able to see every gift as a beam from the sun of God's glory. Every joy in the beam runs, runs up to the foundation of light and it ends there. So no created things becomes a rival of God, but only a revelation of God. He's saying if you look at life this way, everything you have actually points you back to God, to see him and to enjoy him. And so as we move from gifts to giver, from feeling gratitude to expressing gratitude, we find greater joy in God. We recognize God as the one we are grateful to, and we get to know him and what he's like. And so in this kind of way of giving thanks, Thanksgiving again, it moves from recognition of what we have to recognizing God and who he is and what he's like for doing such things, for giving such things, and for being that kind of God. So those are the four components of thanksgiving you often see in the Bible. Now I want to jump back to Luke 17 and see how do we see those four aspects in this story of this man, and then why is thanksgiving such a faith-increasing and joy-giving thing? First, the man in our story we see clearly is thankful. At the very least, he's thankful for the healing he receives and the cleansing that that provides for him. His life is changed, and he's grateful for it. 
So that's the something. He's grateful for the healing, healing and the ceremonial cleansing. Second, the difference between he and the other nine is he's not just grateful for something, but he's grateful to someone. That this one man, he actually returns to Jesus, the good and gracious giver. Third, we see that his gratitude, it actually leads to expressing it. He tells Jesus, thank you. He doesn't just feel grateful and keep on going with his life, but he comes back to Jesus and he expresses his thanksgiving to him. And then fourth, the fourth aspect I mentioned was how giving thanks helps us know and love the one we thank. We see this in Luke 17. It tells us that the man falls on his face before Jesus, verse 16. It tells us that he gives thanks to Jesus in 16. That he praises God with a loud voice in verse 17. That he praises God in 17. And then in verse 19, he tells us that he puts his faith in Jesus. And so Jesus heals this man of leprosy, but he does so much more. And this man is thankful for healing, but what we see is he's ultimately thankful for the so much more he's learned about Jesus. The man falls to his feet in thanksgiving because now he sees Jesus not only as a healer, but as his deliverer, his savior, and his God. The joy isn't only in what he receives from Jesus. This man's joy is in what he discovers about Jesus and finds in Jesus. Now you see this throughout the gospel. As Jesus does miracles or he provides tangible blessings, he always does it so that they would know more about who he is, so that they would see Jesus and follow him. Yes, Jesus can feed 5,000 people with bread, And some are content to just have full bellies, but some people then see Jesus as the bread of life. And yes, Jesus can heal people of disease, and many people in the gospel, they take the healing and they just keep on going. They don't follow Jesus. But others see that Jesus can heal them not only of their disease, but of brokenness, of sin, and of death. Some will see that Jesus can not only delay death through his healing, but Jesus can give eternal life. So they get to know Jesus through what he does. And in Luke 17, as we look at this man, as we see him fall to his feet in thanksgiving, we see that he's made this move. That he's moved from seeing Jesus as this Pez dispenser of blessing to the God who can actually heal him. Not just heal his skin, but heal his sin. The one who can not only make him ceremonially clean, but the one who can clean him from the inside out. The one who can not only change his status in society, but the one who can make him a son of God and reconcile him back to the Father. This man recognizes that Jesus is God's son. That Jesus is the one who sees him in his disease, in his sickness, and in all the baggage of his life. And rather than rejecting him or telling him to stay away, away, that Jesus draws near. That Jesus has compassion, love, and then is at work in a powerful way in his life. And so this man, he gladly receives a gift from Jesus' healing, but even more, he comes to know who Jesus is through it. So when you read Luke 17, his joy is not in the gift. His joy is not in the healing. His joy is in Jesus, his Savior. This story from Luke's gospel, it teaches us that there are two ways to respond to God ingratitude that ignores God or gratitude that leads to worship of God. And just like I will continue to do nice things for my kids and bless them whether they recognize it or or not, 
God will continue to be good and gracious to us whether we recognize it or not. The question isn't whether God will be good in our lives, whether God will bless us in our lives. The question is whether we will recognize it and respond to him and rejoice in him or whether we will simply take the blessings and run. Thanksgiving, as we see in Luke 17, it's actually an invitation to know God. And so the question that comes for us out of this text is, will you be the one or the nine? Will you be grateful or respond in ingratitude? For applications this morning, I just want to connect a few things from this passage to how we can live this out in our life. The first is simply the reminder to be the one, not the nine. That this passage tells us there are two kind of people. That there are people who will receive a blessing from God, but still remain ignorant of who he is and what he's done, like the nine. Or there are people that will, through God's gifts and blessings and works and acts, come to know who he is, give thanks to him, and worship and know him through it. This is just one of many passages that connect giving thanks to our daily walk with God and joy in God. But the first application is to make the decision today that you want to grow in gratitude, that you don't want to remain grateful, that you don't want to live in this life of grumbling, but you want to grow in thanksgiving to God. My encouragement is that has to be an intentional choice. None of us drift toward gratitude. None of us drift toward thanksgiving. Our natural bent is entitlement and gratitude and grumbling. And so we have to choose to be intentional. Here are just three ways you can be intentional this week. First, be on the lookout for God's blessing, care, and work. So simply, as you go throughout your day, have eyes open to see how God has blessed you, how God is at work around you, how God is helping you or being good and gracious to you. And then as you're more aware of what God is doing, you respond in thanksgiving to him. So the first is easy. Just be on the lookout for God's blessing, work, and care. Second, add more giving thanks into your prayer and Bible reading. So as you pray, either to start your day, end your day, add a meal, whenever you pray, just insert a little more thanksgiving to God. So before asking God for thanksgiving or asking God for anything, pause and give him thanks for one specific thing in your life. And this is part of how we move our heart. We nudge it away from that entitlement and gratitude and grumbling I mentioned, and we nudge it toward thanksgiving. Or as you open your Bible, as you get into God's word, be on the lookout for specific things you can be thankful for. Every time you open the Bible, you are given many, many examples of how God is good and gracious and glorious and generous toward you, and that should lead to gratitude from us. Third, in the midst of unwanted circumstances, choose gratitude over grumbling. 1 Thessalonians says, give thanks in all circumstances. Ephesians says to give thanks always and for everything. Notice it doesn't say give thanks when your bank account is full or when everyone is healthy. So how do we do that? How do you give thanks in all circumstances? Well, if Thanksgiving, if we're seeing that Thanksgiving is more about knowing God and responding to him than simply naming and listing gifts, then we can give thanks even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of situations we don't want. We thank God that when things might feel out of control to us, we can rest knowing he is in control. We can thank him that he always has good purposes and that even in trials, he is with us and for us and he goes before us. So we can always find reasons to grumble, 
But the heart of faith says, I will choose to give thanks to God. And by giving thanks, we rest in him and we demonstrate trust in him. Let me give one short, quick example of what this can look like. So on Thanksgiving Day, my almost two-year-old, he had a fever. He's been getting fevers and ear infections. And so I had to miss part of family time, stay in the bedroom, and just hold him for a couple hours so he could sleep and so I could kind of gauge how he was feeling. So giving thanks doesn't mean you're always thankful for the way things happen or that you love the circumstances you're in, but it means that I choose to trust God rather than grumbling against God. I choose to thank him rather than telling him why my plan is better than his. And so in that moment, it's not that I wanted to miss time with family. It's not that I'm thankful my son has another fever or for the money we'll spend on doctors. But even then, as I held him, I could give thanks that God gave me Wyatt to begin with. I could give thanks for medicine that lowers his temperature. I can give thanks for the many times we've had health scares in the past and God has carried us through. I can give thanks for how God teaches us rather than responding in fear, anxiety, and worry and things like this to trust him, to see him as faithful and good. And so in all these things, we can give thanks even when we don't love the circumstances. And so in trials, if we are God's children, there are always more reasons for gratitude than grumbling. So those are just a few ways you can choose to give thanks even this week. And then the second application is to strengthen the the muscle of gratitude during Advent. Leverage the next month and lean into praising and thanking God for all we see about him through this Christmas season. The Advent season continues the Thanksgiving season, not simply because we will get gifts, though I do like giving gifts and I'm happy to receive them, but because all month long we get to set our minds and our hearts on the greatest of gifts, Jesus Christ. When we think about what are the reasons we have to be grateful, God's grace to us should make us the most grateful. As we reflect on the incarnation of Jesus, his coming to earth, we're reminded how God didn't leave us in our sin. God didn't leave us to make our way to him, but God sent his son. God did the initiating and accomplishing work that we didn't deserve and couldn't accomplish. And so God's grace makes us grateful. As we reflect on the birth of Jesus, we're reminded how low he stooped for us. That Jesus wasn't born as an earthly prince in a palace, but in a hay-filled manger. And so from the moment of his birth in a lowly manger, until the moment of his death on a lowly cross, Jesus humbled himself for us. The Son of God gave up everything for us so we would gain everything in him. We sing this in a lot of Christmas songs. Here's one example from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Now, many of our Christmas songs are about the reasons we have for hope, for rejoicing, or for thanksgiving because they're about the announcement of the good news that light has entered the darkness, that our great burden bearer has come to us, that the Savior has come to bring peace on earth, that the weary world can rejoice because a new and glorious morning has dawned, that Jesus brings freedom to all those who are caught in the chains of addiction and sin. 
that he brings comfort and hope to those who feel crushed under the weight of loss or sorrow and discouragement. And that Jesus enters our world, Jesus defeats sin, and Jesus defeats death so that we can rejoice. Not just now in this life, but so we can rejoice forever, for eternity with him. And so the more we set our minds and our hearts on the grace we have in Jesus in this season, the more we will find reasons for gratitude. The more we will find reasons to rest in him, find joy in him, and give thanks to God. And so part of how we grow in gratitude is by growing in our understanding of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And the Advent season is a great time to set your mind on him. And then finally, our third application is this morning as we take communion. This is a reminder that as we take the Lord's Supper, we do so with thanksgiving. And what we actually call communion or the Lord's Supper, in some traditions that's called the Eucharist. And that word Eucharist comes from the Greek word Eucharisteo, which means to give thanks. We're reminded that communion is the ultimate thanksgiving meal. And as we participate in this meal, we do so remembering that all Jesus has done for us and all that we have in him and all the reasons we have for gratitude. That Jesus not only came for us, he not only stooped low for us, but Jesus bled and died for us. Jesus, his body was crushed like you crushed the bread in your mouth so that you would not have to be crushed. Jesus' blood was poured out just like we drink the blood or drink the, the cup so that your blood does not have to be poured out. Jesus takes our punishment so that we get his grace. So if there's anything we can be grateful for, it's the grace of God that comes to us in Jesus and that's what we remember and we celebrate when we take communion. So over these next couple of minutes as we pause to pray, I um, encourage you to come forward Take the, take the cup with the bread and the drink and take some time at your seat and simply give thanks to God. Use this time to reflect on all that you have to thank God for, all the blessings you have in Jesus Christ, all that Jesus has done for you, all that you have because of his, his body broken and his blood shed. And then you can take the cup there at your, at your seat and then together afterwards we'll sing together. So would you pray with me? God, we confess to you often our ingratitude that it's so easy to ignore what you've done for us and so easy to ignore who you are. And so we pray even now that you would make us a grateful people, that we would be aware of all that we have, especially in Jesus Christ. So even in this moment, we give thanks to you, God, that you do not leave us in our sin. You do not look on us with disdain. You do not reject us because we are unworthy, but you gave your son Jesus Christ so we can be forgiven, cleansed, and made whole. That Jesus' body and blood shed for us, poured out for us, is the way we can sit here this morning and know we are forgiven, to know we are loved, to know our biggest problem of sin is taken care of. So Lord, stir in us gratitude this morning as we set our hearts and minds on Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen.